Yo, welcome back, y'all. It's your boy Clay, Dago Diddy in the building, man. I'm uh, here today to touch back in on my uh, getting comfortable while being uncomfortable series. Another installment. I know it's been a minute, right? The last time I rapped with y'all was about the gig. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this time I'm back to show you how we went from kind of transitioning from my first gig, working over at the zoo, um, and then taking a journey into getting into office space, the corporate world, corporate America, making that transition over, right? So the purpose of me coming out and speaking on these types of situations is with hopes that somewhere in there, I'll inspire one of these young dudes, uh, even one of these young females to make that transition and let you know, hey, you know what? There, there's chances and opportunities. We just have to jump on them when we see it, right? Sometimes it's right in front of us and we totally bypass it um, and get caught back up in our normal neighborhood activities. It's easy for us to get comfortable doing that. Super easy. I was a victim of it. Heck, it's, it's still days that things get stressed out and tough. And I'm like, damn, I should go back to what was comfortable for me. Because this transition that I made is not really that comfortable. But I know the hood always loves me, man. The block always loves me and it's always there for me. But you can't hug the block, man. You can hug your mama. You can hug your family. But you can't hug the block. You can stand on the block, but you can't hug it. So last time we spoke on this. We were transitioning from being on that block to getting the gig over at the zoo and uh, making that transition. And there was a lot of changes, a lot of things that were different in that environment itself. But that set me up for my next chapter, right? Next chapter being moving into office space, taking that step into corporate America. It's a whole separate transition. So if I'm thinking like, man, the zoo was a trip in itself, Stepping into an office building, into office space, is a trip. But, Dig, let me, let me tell you how this whole thing got started. So, when I'm over there at the zoo, uh, at the time, my relative, he was pushing carts uh, for Target at the time. And we used to always have these jokes back and forth, especially when I was just a black boy and was like, man, this dude pushes carts. Well, fast forward, I'm at the zoo flipping strollers. Man, you dig. So, he transitions from pushing carts, gets an office job. When he gets this office job, he comes back and he's telling me, hey, you need to come check out this office gig, man. This gets actually kind of cool. So you get to go to work dressed pretty fly. You're around a bunch of women. You're in an air-conditioned building. You can go straight from there to happy hour. Don't have to change your clothes. Don't have to get a shower. None of that. You're already good. So at the time for me, I'm at the zoo flipping strollers, dealing with all kind of customers and mess. Some days I come home dusty and musty. Some days I wouldn't. It just depends. But even for me to transition to catch up with him at a happy hour, that would mean that I'd have to go home, get a shower, freshen up, then come meet this cat somewhere. But at the time, though, I was like, man, nobody wants to be in an office building. And uh, shoot, back at my time when this was taking place, the men that worked in the office building weren't the same kind of cats that I would normally funk with and associate with. So I'm just like, nah, dude, this is a bad idea. I don't want any part of it. Well, time goes by, and he keeps on telling me, man, this is all good. Now, I'm watching him live. This was the guy who used to push carts, you dig? So now he's making moves, and he's in the office. And I'm seeing this cat come home, not even really come home, but just catching up with him. My man is clean. He's jumping out of his little office outfits, man, the dude is clean. The females, 
I'm just like, where do you know her from? We went to a club one night, and we get to the club, and it's all kind of women that's just like, oh, hey, they're all in his face. I'm like, where do you know them from? I work with them. Now, I'm not saying I took an office job because of the females involved in an office job. but I'm not going to say that's not a reason why I didn't, you know, didn't play into that, taking the job inside of the office. But, hey, that's a whole other story. So I go and I look into an office gig. Now, the office gig is going to require that I have a bunch of different skills that I don't really know if I even have. One of the skills is typing, right? When I was in high school, I took typing. I wasn't that kind of guy in high school that took shop and all that kind of mess. That wasn't really my thing. But I did take, like, independent living classes and stuff like that. So my typing game wasn't that bad. Shout out to my homegirl, Barbara, man. When we were in uh, high school, man, I broke my hand. And, uh, man, she pushed me through that typing class. Shoot, I mean, I passed that class with one hand, typing. So it was all solid. But the little homegirl, though, shout out to her, man, because she really made it happen. Now, knowing down the line, I would need these same skills again. So the first job I go to apply for, now, mind you, I just did this whole zoo thing, right? I go apply for this office job, and it's a trip because there's questions on there that's totally different from when working at the zoo. But now I actually have job experience, so I really have to finesse the application that much. But then it's asked me questions like, are you familiar with Word, Excel, 10-key? You know, some of the stuff is probably outdated. Because that's what they were looking for back then. I think all the systems were kind of like cheesy beta systems. But I'm thinking to myself, like, look, I know how to type. I know how to search on the Internet. You know, can't be much different. You get in there, you have to take these tests. So now you have to take assessment tests. And it's more or less just trying to see, do you have the attitude to work inside of a building with a bunch of other people? So when you're not really versed in it, these questions are kind of strange because you're kind of like, what are we really assessing here? But sure. But this, a lot of it was common sense. If your coworker, Kathy, is stealing from her coworker, Cindy's desk, and you see her, will you tell? Neighborhood-wise, I haven't seen nothing. I don't know nothing. If she stole something from her, good luck on that. I'm going to keep it pushing. Assessment on the test-wise, oh, yeah, if I saw her steal it, then I would definitely go and report that to the uppers. Yeah, okay. If Sarah takes 15 minutes longer on her lunch break, would you report that to management? My first thought, how would I even know if Sarah took 15 minutes longer on her lunch break? Like, do we get a sign? Like, how do I know? Did she sign out with me when she's going to lunch? I don't know when this lady left, so who am I going to tell? So I'm just like, okay, this culture is a little bit different. But I answered everything opposite of what I really truly answered it. So I had to cut off the neighborhood thought process to where now you're in a corporate building. You're going into an office space. Snitching is cool, but it's not really snitching. You're just doing your job. So that was that first step of trying to figure out how am I going to answer these questions for these people? Well, I do good enough on that to get called in for an interview but not even it wasn't even an interview yet. You don't get the interview until you go back and take these other skill tests. I go in and I have to take this typing test. Keep it 100. I totally bombed that typing test. I thought I knew what I was doing. Man, I knew how to type up an email. I knew how to search on the Internet. When somebody says type X amount of words in 60 seconds in words that make sense, that's where they lost me. I could type a bunch of gibberish, but not something that what they were looking for. The thing is, I left such a lasting impression 
on the person who was renting the assessment, he pulled me to the side and gave me a little hint and was like, hey, if you wait three months, if you're still looking for a job, an office job, three months, you can apply again. I'll pull your name off that stack and bring you back in so that you can take this part of the test over. Everything else you've passed, you just messed up on this typing test. He gives me this tip. He's like, hey, they're not really looking for the correct spelling of the word as much as they're looking for keystrokes. The system was back. This is Now, mind you, this is years, years back. Now I'm pretty sure everything would count, so don't go off of that. Just be upon your business and know your shit when you go in there typing. But at that time, you could pull that off. He helps me out. I go home, and you have to always work on yourself. You always have to try and find ways to better yourself. I didn't sit back and just try to peck away at the keyboard and figure this thing out. Back then, there was a tape, um, it was a CD that you could load by Mavis Beacon. Mavis Beacon was a typing, like a self-typing thing that you could learn home at home, like an at-home typing uh, course. So I sit down every single day with Mavis, and I'm typing, I'm typing, I'm typing, I'm typing. I'd be up at night just typing because the thing was I wanted to move up. I wanted to do something better and get out of the job that I had. So I had to force myself to grow. Now, transitioning from the neighborhood to the zoo made it a little bit easier because I now knew kind of how to manage my time. And I wasn't in the neighborhood as much, but I also knew that there were things outside of that neighborhood that I wanted to push for. Part of going to get a better job to keep better in myself. So I separated myself a lot from the neighborhood at that time so I could just be home getting this typing thing together. Knowing down the line, if I could pass this typing, it's all going to pay off in the long run. So needless to say, I go back in three months. I retake the test. I kill it. Slide in there. Bam, I kill it. Type an exam, no problem, kill it. I make it to the interview. Hey, before you learn how to sell anything, you learn how to sell yourself. To any crowd, any audience, you learn how to sell yourself. And I sat up in there and I did what I had to do. And bam, I landed my first office gig. Now, being a relative, we used to call it corporate thugging. Way before Young Jeezy dropped the album, you know, uh, shout out to Jeezy, but way before he dropped the album, being a relative, I always called it corporate thugging because a lot of us, once you get inside that office building, you see the only thing that's changing is these dudes' outfits. I got inside of there and started running into so many cats from so many different neighborhoods who were pulling off the same thing. They were just in that building doing a job, but it didn't really change who they were. So when you first get in, it's, it's funny because you don't really have an outfit, right? When you first start working inside of a building. So... Everybody that went from neighborhood transition into an office gig could probably relate to your first outfit. You know what I'm saying? Your first office outfit, right? They show you the dress code. You can't show up in the Fly Jordans. You can't show up in the Grant Hills. You can't show up rocking the Fila outfit. There, there's rules to this, right? There's a whole new schematic. So what do we do? Our first outfit, nine times out of ten. Can't say for everybody, but nine times out of ten. You show up with some Dickies, your church shoes, and your church shirt. Tell me if I'm wrong, y'all. Your Dickies, church shoes, and your church shirt. Now, I wasn't really that much of a religious cat, and I didn't go to church a lot. So for me, it was Dickies, some dress shoes, and a polo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it worked, though, right? You slide in, you just have a you know, couple of sets of Dickies, a black Dickies, and a couple of sets of polo shirts, and you made it work, right? 
That was like your first outfit. You get in there. Now, once you start getting that paycheck, you kind of graduated from the Dickies and the, the Polo. Now, you, you hit the department store, and we move up to the next phase, which was the Dockers and the Loafers, and then the little fly button down. I used to rock mine with a sweater vest just to throw a little Bill Cosby swag to it, you know. Uh, but, hey, everybody had their thing, right? So it's kind of like your first outfit. And you see, it's, it's interesting. But now you're like, you know what? When I leave out of here, I really am happy how we're ready. I can really go someplace else. Like, hey. And it was the thing that was so funny about that transitioning is when you leave out of a job and you have on a button down and some dockers and the little loafers and a sweater vest on. You walk into another store and establishment after work and people treat you completely different just because of the outfit. Not knowing that this is just your your costume, basically, for eight hours a day. You're still who you are. That doesn't have to change the person inside of you. But anyhow, that's just a side note. But back to, to the office portion. Now you have to get in there and you have to learn office culture. Now, again, that's when you have to kind of look at your neighborhood ways and look at how office works. So the first time I type an email and I send it to somebody and there are some capital letters involved. I get this manager who walks over to me. They print the email out and they show me. They're like, well, so-and-so wanted to know, why did you yell at them when you sent this over? Now imagine the confusion. I didn't talk to anybody. I just typed something. To my knowledge, I'm not yelling at anybody. I I couldn't tell you who I'm yelling at because I just typed. And the way I remembered in school was, unless you put an exclamation point at the end of something, you're not yelling at a person. You're just typing. So I'm confused. I'm just like, wait, how did I yell at them? We didn't talk. Well, these two words you did in capitals. I said, yeah, I did that to draw attention to the two words so that they knew that this was the subject matter was and so forth. Well, when you type out emails in the office, if you type in capitals, that means that you're yelling at somebody. Man, my mind is blown at this point. I'm just looking around like, are people in these, are they really that sensitive in here to where a capital word is me yelling at you? But see, I had to cut off the neighborhood thought process of like, okay, you know what? Let me start shifting into this environment. You always have to be open to that shift because if you just kind of block it, and I've seen people do it where they block things out and just say, hey, you know, it's an office policy that's stupid, that's bullshit. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to continue to push it my way. And I've seen those same people push out the door. So you have to be open to that weird criticism, right? So I had them sit down, show me how to properly write this email so that we're no longer be yelling at anybody and that we could all just get along, right? It's a trip. But then you have to transition even further in because when I was at the zoo, we didn't really have set break times. You just kind of win if there's another person standing next to you. But now I'm in this office and they're presenting me this thing of here's your breaks and your lunches. And I'm just like, okay, like what happens if I don't go at that time? Well, you can get written up if you continue to do it. It affects the flow of the office. It affects this and that. I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. So now I'm being told when I have to sit down, stand up, when I can eat, when I can't eat. Like, this is crazy. But okay, you want something better for yourself, try to work through this whole situation. Eventually, you adapt to it and you figure it out. You start figuring out how to stay busy, stay on a call, or stay active. And, oops, I forgot it was my break time and let that time run over. You start learning the culture. You know who to talk to about what. You know, if you want to play something off and extend something, you start picking up the culture. So now... 
you're still using some of your old street mentality, but now you're taking it into the office. Because in the streets, you always learn how to figure out how to manipulate the situation. On your block, you always knew that one police officer that you could talk to a certain way, that you could get to look the other way, so that you could kind of go on about your way. But then you also knew which one that wouldn't work with, and that you better cross that street accordingly, or you're going to end up in the back seat for nothing. So you take that same thought process, and you go into the office building, where these people aren't expecting that. They don't know how good you are with mind manipulation and reading people and figuring things out. They don't understand that. That's the hustling mentality. They don't get it. So this is why me and the relative always talked about it. He'd be like, man, it's corporate thugging. He said, if we take the street smarts that we have and move into an office building, these people won't know what to do. We could run that whole joint. And he's living proof, man. My man is a... Sure, I think I, I don't even how to say what his title is, but he's high up above a lot of people to where he's very comfortable in where he's at, but he still has his thugging. He still does certain things that's neighborhood, and people just be like, well, that's him, and they keep it pushing because he's, he's paid his dues. So as we progress through this building, right, I'm learning a lot of different things. I'm picking up the office language. You know, the whole bit. Now, the thing that tripped me out, though, is they assigned you to this cubicle, right? Now, this cubicle, man, I don't even know how big it is, but you sit in a little chair, you spin from one side to the other, all this stuff is there. And they're just like, okay, now set your cubicle up. Never had a cubicle. So I don't even know what the hell I'm supposed to be putting in this thing. You don't know what you need until you realize you don't have it. You know, somebody offered me some scissors once, and I was like, why do I need scissors? And then sure enough, like a day or two later, I was like, hey, does anybody have scissors? You know, do you have a stapler? Do you have this? And now you start understanding that, right? There's a supply cabinet. They send you to the supply cabinet. Everything's on the honor system. You just take what you need. I know a lot of moms in there used to take a bunch of crafts. They would take home staplers, uh, markers, all that kind of stuff. They would take it home for their kids. Now, people will argue that it's not stealing. But as far as I knew, that was stealing. Based on that assessment thing I took, if Karen took XYZ out the building, would you tell I never told on Karen, but I was like, man, she's going to get caught at some point because Karen's stealing. But anyhow, so you go down there, you get everything that you need to fill up your cubicle, decorate your cubicle. And once you think you have everything, they come by and do an assessment, make sure you have all your little tools and utensils. And now they start telling you how to log on and take these phone calls. And it's funny because not, I mean, you could take phone calls all day, but not one of those calls would be the same. And every single person on that call would be a different type of person, right? So the whole day is spent basically code shifting because you don't know who you're talking to and what you're talking about. My first job was in the medical field. It was in the health field. So it was dealing with a lot of people with their insurance. Some people were sick. Some people were healthy. Some people were just calling to find out if they even had coverage. But you always had to learn your audience, which, again, is a skill that we pick up so well on the neighborhood because you have to learn who you're around and how to shift it on and off for each different group of people that you're dealing with. So don't get me wrong when I say we're trying to transition and get out of the neighborhood because that neighborhood was our first life teacher. That neighborhood gave us all these extra skills that a lot of people that didn't grow up there don't have. The neighborhood showed us to be fearless We didn't worry about anything. We walk into a room and we can own it because walking into a controlled environment with a bunch of people who you know are not set to harm you is way easier than walking into an uncontrolled environment where things could go wrong at any minute or you could face death or life in prison. 
So you're trained already. You're conditioned to deal with all of these things that scare us because our normality is way worse than what's uncomfortable, man. The, the stuff that we think is uncomfortable by living straight is so peaceful as opposed to what we wake up to every day, but that's our normal. So we start taking our normal and moving into controlled environments. We can control that environment the same way. But you just learn how to talk to people and make those moves and manipulate the situation to where it works for you and your advantage. So I've never talked bad about the neighborhood and never will because it made me who I am today. But at the same time, it also showed me, hey, you have so much potential to do other things. And a lot of people will lose that potential or lose that dream when certain doors close. But see, we keep opening these different doors, right? And that's what me going into this office space is all about is opening up these different doors. Now, there's a lot of fun that took place in these offices that were different. You know, you're worried about in the beginning, I'm like, oh, breaks and lunches, but you can eat at your desk. So you can snack. Now, if you got like a slow metabolism, that's a terrible situation because, man, next thing you know, yeah, you're asking for a bigger chair and trying to get closer to that break room so you don't have to walk as far, right? Yeah, that's kind of sad, but it's the truth, you know what I'm saying? It didn't technically happen to me, but I've seen it happen to a lot of people because you get comfortable, you get complacent. Then you start having potlucks. Everybody's bringing things in on a regular basis. It's a completely change of environment. What it's also doing, though, is you're meeting all these fabulous people, right? All these different walks of life. So to where your Saturday might have been, hey, man, I'm about to go hang in the neighborhood. We're going to barbecue and act a fool. Now you have somebody saying, hey, we're going jet skiing up at such and such. Do you want to show up here? Hey, we're going parasailing, blah, blah, blah. You want to go check this out? And now you're like, hey, you know what? You start getting these new friends or associates, I should say, that are outside of your normal bubble. And it's going to scare the hell out of you. And that's another point where you're going to be extremely uncomfortable. But at some point, though, you'll start seeing how, hey, you know what? I can fit into these different situations. I'm just like a chameleon, man. I'm just changing my colors and mobbing with these people, right? Turns into a beautiful situation at, at some point. You know what I'm saying? Now, there's certain things that we've been conditioned in our neighborhood that you have to try to decondition yourself when sitting with inside of an office, right? No joke, man. People... Popping up in my cubicle, I swear I had neighborhood PTSD, man. I swear to you. Because, you know, when you're outside somewhere, you are always got your head on a swivel. Your back is never to an open space. It's the conditioning that you're in for your environment. Now you're in a cubicle. You're supposed to be relaxed, at peace, and calm. But your back is to a row where people are walking all day. Your back might be to a door. We all know rule number one. And survival in the hood is you do not sit with your back to the door. You face that door. And I remember asking if I could have a different desk so I could face the door and trying to explain that to someone. And they're just like not getting it at all. It's like most people want to have a view outside at the window at the street. And I'm thinking, look, I'm four stories up. If somebody's outside that window, it's a whole nother problem that I don't even want to know they're there. But if somebody walks through that door, man, I want to know if that cat is coming through that door. Even though nobody should be coming through the door, right? I'm at work. So they put you in this cubicle with your back to a row. Man, people popping up on me in a cubicle, I swear. It probably took me a good six months to not tense up and almost swing on somebody for hopping up on me in a cubicle. You know what I mean? But you're trying to make these different changes. and You're just like, God, there's a part of me that just doesn't die. But then you still got to remember, like, look. I can be calm in here for eight hours and not take anything as a threat. 
But when I walk out of this secured building, I got to switch back to sit facing the door. Somebody walk up behind you. If they walk up behind you, you don't see them. That, that could cost you. So you still got to stay in all your elements. But just for the time being, of those eight hours a day, you have to start finding that peace in that building. The other thing that drove me insane, people knocking on your cubicle. Why in the hell are you knocking on this damn cubicle? But in office culture, then, hey, that was, you know, to get your attention. Hey, Jackson, do you have that? What in the hell, dude? You could have just stood there and been like, hey, you know, give me the phone signal. Like, Are you on a call? What are you doing? I'm on a phone call. Somebody comes up there, and I'm just like, yeah, how are you doing? uh, How's it? Oh, yo, hold. Can you hold for a moment, please? Bro, don't knock on this cubicle, man. You know what I'm saying? But you're trying to explain to somebody who doesn't have neighborhood PTSD why they should not knock on your cubicle. Hey, man, sometimes it just happens that way. But you go from that part of it, then you have to start asking people for help because you don't know certain things. And I know for a lot of us, man, especially as young brothers, we suffer from an ego to where we're so used to doing everything ourselves that we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to come to someone and say, I don't understand this. I don't get that. How can we make this work and how can we do that? We'll try and figure it out ourselves. Now, me in general, I'm that kind of person that will take something out of a box, put the manual, everything to the side, and just let it sit. And then I'll sit back and try and figure everything out. And then when I finally get stuck, I'll open the manual. And then reluctantly, I'll call that 800 number. If I finally truly get stuck and I can't find it on YouTube I don't have a relative, a partner, my son, somebody that can get this other part to work. Then I'll go to the 800 number reluctantly. But when you're in this office world, man, asking for help, it's a trip because these people want you to ask for help. They want you to come to them with a problem. They're actually there for you to try and help you grow. Now, I can't say all of them because I've had some managers that uh, it's this phrase they use in corporate America, man, in the office space. They'll either coach you up. Or they'll coach you out. I've been coached up and I've been coached out. It's not a good feeling to be coached out. A lot of times I would see that I was getting coached out and I just dip. Now, one thing I will tell you, working inside of an office building, you still have to find ways to get your respect. Never sell yourself out. Never become that happy-go-lucky, I'm snitching on everybody to make myself look better. Don't be the brown noser. Don't be an ass kisser because I've seen all of these people get the boot. And some of them have gotten the boot faster than that person who you would look at and be like, this dude tells the manager point blank what he will and won't do. This person comes back late every day. This person calls out every day. But what you don't know behind the scenes, those people have certain skills that you don't know. And only one person outside of them might know. And if they fire that person, They're going to do the company an injustice. So you got to become valuable at something if you want to really be an asshole. But if you're a brown noser, you have those skills. They don't want you around. People who don't want an ass kisser around. And then plus, when you get the boot, you're going to feel so bad because you sold yourself out. You have no dignity, no pride, no respect. You've told on everybody and they still did you dirty. Those, I think, are the people who lose it and come back that you see later on the news. I think that's probably some of those people. But... You can still be yourself, perform, not like a clown, but perform for the job's task and still be looked upon as somebody that they respect and come to and value. 
You know what I'm saying? That's that's just a side note of what I've learned during my time. But part of that comes from not being afraid to ask for help, not being afraid to admit that you're wrong, you know, and that's something that we struggle with. I know as young black men, we struggle with that a lot because people aren't always that willing to help us through certain situations. And I'm sure other men deal with it, too. But I have to speak from my side of the table and I've seen it. I've dealt with it and I've been there. And I had to learn how to go up to a manager and, and, and admit that I don't know what I'm doing. And trust me, if you don't know what you're doing, they're going to call you out at some point. And it's even worse when they call you out because now it's happened so much that it's been brought to their attention. And the first thing they tell you is, why didn't you ask for help? How do you explain that? Because my neighborhood street ego wouldn't let me come over and ask. You know what I'm saying? I got this chip on my shoulder where I think I know everything. That's not going to fly. That's going to send you back to the block because you can't keep this job, right? So in those certain situations, we have to make adjustments internally so that it's not so that you fit in. But in a sense, I guess it is because you're trying to fit the job description that you came and applied for, for the direction that you want to take your life, right? So you have to make some changes just in order to function. Now, Part of the whole thing of being able to function with inside of that environment, I think once you get past that first hurdle and learn office culture, it can take you so many different places. And like, you know, like I told you before in that first one, man, shout out to the police and the courts and so forth. As crazy and twisted as it may sound and seem, those people really did teach us how to adapt to any and every situation. You know what I mean? And it's, it's kind of weird to see it that way, but they really did. That was like your first life teachers. You know, so your parents could tell you about it, but they couldn't tell you all about it because some of it they didn't live. Till you get in these different situations, you don't know. But it's all about taking that risk. You know what I mean? You're comfortable, but go get uncomfortable doing something different and see how that flows, right? Because the only way you're going to ever grow in advance is to do such. You feel me? You say this whole thing that I'm taking you on with this uh, getting comfortable while being uncomfortable series is all about growth, right? You know and as you grow, you're going to have people around you, and they're either going to grow with you or they're going to grow apart. Some of my neighborhood dudes, you know, we haven't spoken years because they feel like I've changed. I walked away. I left the hood behind. You know, I'm not going to tell you my age on here, but anybody that knows me, I'm old. If I was still trying to rep the hood and stay in the hood, um, and do hood type activities I'm a fool for that You know And a lot of cats that you grow up with Some of them that's that's it That's the only direction that they're going to stay and go That's it They're hood until it's over Now I still have love for the black man It's still my folks It's still my people And a lot of the cats have transitioned out of the black And we're all still tight So you're either going to grow apart Or they're going to grow with you You know what I'm saying Now when you take these journeys into the office buildings and different jobs and so forth, you're going to start running into people that are already growing in the direction that you're trying to get to. And then that's the kind of growth that you want around you or people that's going to get to the next level. I mean, if you're just a little seedling and somebody else is already an old tree, then yeah, plant yourself next to that cat and see how did y'all get all these fruits on this tree? Because man, you over here shining. They're going to tell you, man, a lot of these fruits died. A lot of my fruits fell off. A lot of my fruits got lost in the shuffle. But I kept on surrounding myself with other things that were growing and making moves. And, hey, everything blossomed out lovely. 
little fruit analogy, man, a little something different, but you know, but you see where I'm going with it, that you have to surround yourself with people that are on the same page. You know what I'm saying? Don't stunt your growth trying to stay grounded with those that don't want to grow with you because you're going to stay in that same ground. You're going to still be standing on that block, man. You know what I mean? Looking like a weed. Just standing there, man, dead, dusty. Nobody wants you because you're just staying in one spot trying to keep yourself grounded to your neighborhood to still impress everybody that you grew up with. Impression is growth, man. Everybody wants to see that and everybody needs that. You know what I'm saying? In the transition, sometimes it's hard, man, but you have to make those moves. You feel me? So this is just a little brief touch-in, man, uh, on how I went from working at the zoo to the office gig. Uh, and hopefully somebody out there, man, can pass this along to another person that they know that's, that's struggling with those same things as far as how can I make this happen for myself. Um, prior to going into the office building, I used to, you know, I had the braids, man. I had the individuals. I had the beads, the, the whole nine. And uh, a lot of that had to change, man. Maybe on the weekends I would do it. But Sunday would come, Sunday evening, take those braids out, slick it all back in the ponytail, tuck that mug under, iron out my little plaid button-down shirt, get my dockers together, get my loafers and some little low socks, and be ready to smile and grin in the morning. And welcome to such and such. My name is Clayburn Jackson. How can I help you? And hit them with that one, too, right? But that's what also has led me to the point of this journey where I'm at now, where I can turn around and try and give the same message back. You know, uh, the only person that stops you a lot of times is yourself and where your mindset is. You know what I mean? You got to learn how to push through and persevere from everything. Everything that happens to you is not always negative. You know, it may not be a good experience at that moment, but you can take something away from that and learn from it. If you keep having it happen to yourself, then the common denominator of your problem is you. You know what I mean? So you have to look inside yourself and figure that out and figure out what path you want to run down. Uh, later in this series of getting comfortable while being uncomfortable, I'm going to take you guys all the way back to the beginning to show you how this whole thing with the black got started for me. You know what I mean? Um, people have an interesting way of thinking of how it goes, but it's not really what you see on TV. It's nowhere what you see on TV. But we'll touch on that on a later date and um, put you all up on that one. But it's a little brief brief thing on, on corporate thugging, as we would call it corporate thugging, because... Even within that building, man, I realized there's bloods, cribs, essays. Everybody is in this building. Cats would go down to the parking structure on Fridays only. They would bring out their good car on Friday. A lot of them would drive. You know what? I'm going to tell you a little side note, man. A lot of these dudes would drive these little cars. It'd be like a little bucket hatchback Honda or Datsun. You know what I mean? But then on Friday, happy hour day, these cats would show up. You go in the parking structure. Yeah, the navigators on 20, back then it was 20s, you know, I don't know what the hell they squat on now. But back then, the navigators on 20s, you had cats that brought the low riders out because they knew right after work they were going to leave. 4.30, man, you would see everybody pull out the parking lot, hitting switches or chrome shining. And then you learned, like, oh, so this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. And at the time where I worked, there was a club in the same parking lot. So we'd walk right out the office Walk about 100 yards, walk into this hotel, lobby, happy hour, happy hour, rolled into a club. So you you learned the culture, you know what I mean? But it was a fun culture. But what you realized was a lot of these dudes were neighborhood cats, thugging like a mug. There's some stories I can't even tell y'all because, you know, 
they could probably tie things back together back then. You know, we're young, 20-some-year-old cats inside the, the office building. But we all took that street mentality. And for eight hours a day, we would run that street mentality into the corporate world, into the office space. We were some of the best sellers, best customer service, best groups, like leading groups to activities. A lot of these cats turned into managers. I mean, I was a supervisor at, at the majority of the places that I worked because of what I knew from the streets on how to work with people. So you take that and put it all together, man, you got a corporate thug. You sit up in there, you can run it. You know, politicians, that's a, they're corporate thugs, but they're a different type of thug. You know what I'm saying? But, hey, I hope y'all enjoyed this little tidbit, man. Uh, corporate thugging 101, you know, with your boy Clay. Uh, I'll be back. I know it's been a, a minute since I dropped something on y'all, but we're trying to do it more often. Again, man, spread the word. Pass this around to multiple people if you can. I know there's somebody out there right now that's thugging that wants to be I'm a corporate thug. And uh, this is kind of like the, the off-base blueprint on how to do that, you know. And trust me, Dickies, church shirt, church shoes, first office outfit, it's going to work. You're going to rock that into the building to be shining, right? But, uh. I think it's about that time for me to slide out of here. This has been another one of those Dago Diddy productions, man. It's your boy, Clayburn Jackson. Thank you all for your support. Anybody that came out here and rocked with me and listened. And uh, we'll be back soon. You dig. Peace. <laughs>